When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of House of League. Plenty to get for it's been a busy old week in the world of rugby league. I'm Matt Shaw, and alongside me to talk about all the news that's broken throughout the week, Mr. Aaron Bauer, who you seem like you've been in a good mood recently, Aaron, actually. <laughs> As opposed to normal when I'm not. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Um, but look, listen, we, me, me and Aaron have known each other. How long have we known each other now? Seven or eight years. Yeah. I mean, you are, you are a self-confessed, usually relatively miserable. I don't think I've ever said miserable. I mean, you might have to consider that whenever I'm around you, I'm miserable. But does that mean I'm miserable in general, Matthew? Fair enough. Right. Let, let's get into some of these big talking points. We'll, let's start with Cruz leaving. Uh, I think this took everyone, and I think seemingly leads by surprise. Bizarre, I think, is a, is a fair one, a fair description of this. What's what's your take on what, what we've had so far here? What we've seen yeah. develop? Out, out of the blue is, is right, isn't it? As you say, it's um, it's hit leads pretty hard as well. It all it all unfolded pretty quickly from, from Tuesday onwards, from what we can understand. Um, no murmurings of any issue in the weeks beforehand, or certainly no murmurings that Cruz Leaning was was going to be looking for a way out of Leeds. And then here we are, well, here we were, 48 hours on, you brought the story saying he's gone. And, you know, <clears throat> we've since found out he's going to the NRL. As you've said, it looks like the Titans. Um, there were a couple of other clubs sniffing. I think he was shocked around, you know, he was shocked around quite extensively in quite a quick fashion as well when it all happened. Um there were a couple of Sydney clubs who were really keen on him as well as Gold Coast. Um, so, yeah, look, he's going to get his move by the by the sounds of it. Um, well, I'm sure we'll touch on where it leaves Leeds, but it's all happened so fast. I think even there, like you say, have just been left a bit sidelined by it all. Let, let's look at it from Leeds' perspective first. So, what I, you can kind of piece it together and look at how the last what, six months have gone? Maybe longer, seven, eight. He got the injury, didn't he? That kept out. He got the foot injury that kept him out for a while. He came back, uh, was, dare I say, playing a bit part role because Jared O'Connor was starting, doing very well. They made the grand final. But, you know, you probably, I think some people have thought, well, you know, he was coming back to fitness, maybe not the right time to put so much pressure on his shoulders. Uh then you see him lose the captaincy because Leeds don't have a captain, which to me is bizarre. Well, that's a yeah. different conversation. Yeah. Um, he then starts two games. They lose both. Uh, then they start O'Connor in the third game against St. Helens. They win. Yeah. But not only that, Aidan Caesar gets man of the match, which I think... Look, it looks to me, I don't know about you, there did seem to be a bit of a, a disconnect between the two halves and leaving in styles of play. It felt like that to me. So then Caesar goes and plays very well against Saints. And then after that, it seems like one thing's led to another and he's gone. So I I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of see it. He's got England ambitions, hasn't he? He missed out on the World Cup, which he's on public about being devastated about is is this simply a case of a coach and a player not falling out but a coach and a player's styles just simply not matching yeah <clears throat> I think to simplify it the answer would be yeah there's obviously a lot more to it than that I think as you say the timeline suggests that Rowan Smith sees Leeds's hooking department going in a different direction 
than Cruz Leeming. And Brad Dwyer, of course, who who wasn't offered a deal. And Rowan was very vocal last year, wasn't he, that, that Brad Dwyer wasn't going to be offered a deal by Leeds. He, he's gone on, you know, we're speaking on Tuesday and he spoke to the press, spoke to us earlier today. And, and again, he was very, very, you know, effusive about Jared O'Connor saying he can play 80 minutes. He's the man that has the hooking role. Corey Johnson's the deputy. And Rowan, whether he's putting a good act on or not, seems very confident about what he's got. He obviously rates Jared O'Connor very highly. And when you, when you do rate a young player as highly as that, and he is playing such a key role, like he did on the way to the grand final, it does knock the senior hooker's nose out of joint. It does alter his standing. And and I think Cruz Lehman is, is probably well within his rights to decide that his career wants to go in a different direction. Like you say, he's, you know, he's, he's certainly not old by any stretch of the imagination. He's a veteran in in Super League terms, but not in, in age terms. And the opportunity, there's still a lot of opportunities out there for Cruz Leeming to go and start because I rate him very highly. And I think he is an England calibre hooker, but I think it's just come down to the fact that over the last six months, as you say, Leeds have taken it in a different direction. And he's, from my view, you know, you, you can say that he's not done Leeds the best service. I'm, I'm not a particular subscriber to that view. I'm more a, fa- a fan of, him grasping the opportunity and deciding he wants to take his career in a different direction. I think he's well within his rights to do that. And it looks like that's now going to be in the NRL. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him back here in Super League next year. Yeah, I don't buy into the fact that he's, you know, spat, spat the dummy out from the no. toilet. I don't think that. Look, we'll, we'll never know. But it seems to me that it, it just suits both, both parties, certainly in the long term. Yeah. Because... Yeah. If if he's if Rowan sees Jared O'Connor as his starting nine, Cruz Leeming is never going to be satisfied being the the secondary. You know, you're not going to see him play the Joey Lusser crow. Oh, no, 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 he's not. Agreed, agreed. And and I think Jamie Jonesview can touch on this on Sky that he Rowan Smith likes his halfbacks to run, but you can't have running halfbacks and a running hooker. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. You know, if, if your halfbacks are going to run, they need the ball from the from the halfback. And you know, Jared O'Connor, I would say is a. I don't want to say a more selfless player because I don't. I don't want to suggest that Cruz Lima is selfish, but I would say that he's probably more inclined to pass first and run first. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. very good defensively, um, and I think I think that's the other thing, Aaron. Like, if you look at the way Leeds defend. They do it a bit different to other teams in that in collision, they normally defend with two men rather than three. And they are practically the only club in Super League to do that. Now, Jared O'Connor is, is a small guy as well, so I don't want to contradict that, but he's very good defensively. Better than Cruz in terms of technique, I would say, and various other things. But naturally for Cruz, like Jared, he's coming up against blokes at twice his size. So to try and ask him to go... To, with one of a bloke and try and stop. Well, he's going to want to push up, isn't he? Get in the yeah. faces. Yeah. But Rowan also don't like that. You, you even talk about cohesion and connection. He likes people staying in the line. Leeds don't, don't defend with line speed. So I think even defensively, I don't think the system suits Cruz, to be honest. No, I think, as you say, <laughs> this time 12 months ago, Leeds were going in a in a different direction, weren't they? He was, you know, he was a leader in that team and it, just because a different coach has come in and decided he wants to take the team a different way, tactically, identity-wise, you know, style-wise, doesn't necessarily mean Cruz Leeming suddenly become a bad player. By the way, you know, he's he's still a very good player who's going to offer a hell of a lot to a lot of clubs. But it just seems, in this instance, it was a a change too many for for player and. The, the you know as we said the pecking orders change Rowan has an identity about what he wants his hooking department to look like and it just it always felt didn't it in the back of your mind that it, it kind of didn't involve Cruz long term you know the, the captaincy thing Rowan and Leeds would argue well we've got a few leaders so we thought we'd spread it around but the semantics of someone being captain one year and nobody being captain the next doesn't look great and it, it's just, just it's just a different a different direction leads are taking it in and Cruz is well within his rights to say, actually, you know, I'd, I'd like a release and I'd like to try and secure an opportunity elsewhere. And from what from what I can gather, and I'm sure you'll know the same, that he, he didn't walk out of Leeds straight into another contract. You know, he's, he's 
he, he didn't have a contract sat on the table waiting for him when he requested this release. Um, he's obviously got one now, but he, he took a bit of a gamble in that regard. That's not, that's not to say an NRL club would have jumped all over him. You know, not many Super League clubs have got the capability sorry, to fit Cruz leaning into the squad cap-wise. So he took a gamble and he looks like he's going to pay off and, and good luck to him. I think what I think well we've talked about maybe not being part of the long term plan. I think that's well summed up by the fact Leeds are asking for a fee. Yeah. You know, they they are letting him go for, for nothing. Which, by the way, is a pretty bold call by them because the minute that he signs his contract in the NRL, he and it's it'll be till the end of the season, he is then instantly free to negotiate a return to Super League in twenty twenty four. Yeah. So we and he was under contract with Leeds in 2024. Yeah. So you know, Le- Leeds are effectively letting a player go now, which obviously hurts him short term. But they're also allowing him to go and negotiate and potentially strengthen a rival mm. for next year when he was under contract and not asking for anything for it. Which suggests to me the only read I have on that is that they simply we we know about their salary cap and it's it's not been in the greatest state. That simply they would. They were just very, very keen to open up that salary cap space to allow Rowan Smith to have as much opportunity as he can to remold this squad next yeah. year. That's the only read I can take on that. Yeah, and you know, it's whether they go and replace a hooker, uh, replace leaving at hooker depends probably on what happens with Corey Johnson. I would have thought. You know, it's clear O'Connor's central to what they do. Corey Johnson's got a chance to impress now. He's come back into Leeds, hasn't he? Having left the game and. He's got he's got a chance, and that will probably dictate what they do market wise, and and maybe again, you know, timing wise, as you've sort of alluded to, from from May, you can you can speak to players who are out of contract, and the, the message to Corey Johnson might be now, look, you've you've got six weeks here to to show that we don't need to go into the market for a hooker next year, so it's it's an opportunity for him as much as it is for Jared O'Connor, I think. I tell you what, one thing that Rowan Smith can't be accused of is playing it safe, no. because. He's made some fair old bold calls since he's joined that club in terms of players he's let go, in terms of his actual recruitment policy and the, the type of players that he brought in as a as an overall collective. The the no captaincy, playing centres at wing, you know, moving uh, Jared O'Connor to Hulker, which clearly has worked. The, the idea of moving Morgan Gannon into the halves, you know, he's he's made some. Pretty left field decisions and some some that would certainly split opinion. This Cruz Lehman call will also split opinion because the idea to some Leeds fans that he could be playing for another club next year and Leeds don't see any benefit from it will you know will annoy them. But you've got to I'm not saying that I'm not saying that every call he's making is right, but you have to give him the credit that he isn't playing it safe because he yeah. most certainly is not doing that. No, I, I quite like that from a from my perspective. I mean, I'm not a Leeds fan, but I quite like a coach willing to take gambles and go against the grain and be a bit different. So whether Leeds fans agree is another matter. But yeah, it's it's the latest in a long line of big calls, and he's got most of them right so far. Um, whether we get whether they get this one right, only time will tell. Yeah, the pr- the proof's in the pudding. He, definitely. It's it, it, what I suppose the point I'm trying to make is he he's given he's given people a lot of ammunition to fire at him if it doesn't work out. I say now I'm not saying that is a reason to play safe by any means. I think I'm with you. I think he should almost be applauded for what he's doing for making these brave calls for making the tough calls. But nevertheless, he uh, he's there's a lot there's a lot to aim at him if you want to, um, and ultimately. But I suppose that's the job of being a coach, isn't it? That is yeah. the job of being a coach. Um, time, time will tell. Just, just on, just to wrap up on on Leeming. Do, do you expect him back in Super League next year? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Um, <clears throat> obviously, he could go down there and rip the NRL to shreds and and get a gig in the NRL. And I, that's this me saying yeah doesn't mean I don't think he's good enough to play in the NRL. But I just think the likeliest option is there are a couple of clubs that you look at and think. There's openings, there's opportunities for a 27-year-old hooker who's borderline England up until now, probably will play for England at some point. This is not an average player we're talking about. It's a very good player. I think 
you look at a number of clubs mm. who have not only got openings but got existing hookers who think they could probably upgrade by getting Cruz leaning through the door. So I would expect a lot of chat around Cruz Lehman, a lot of interest in him. I would agree. Uh, moving on, the RFL's new CEO, uh, Tony Sutton, is in charge. Thoughts? Uh, well, in terms of <laughs> look, not 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 a great look for a third consecutive CEO to be appointed from within. Says one of two things: that the governing body never had any interest of looking externally, or the quality of candidate that applied from outside the RFL wasn't good enough. I would wager the latter probably isn't true. I would think there probably were good enough people to come in and be CEO from from other bodies and other sports, but. They've gone with Tony Sutton. Does it inspire? Well, well, no, because as we've said, it's an internal appointment and it just feels like that progression of Nigel Wood to Ralph Rimmer to Tony Sutton is a, na- a natural one in terms of what we all expected. But in terms of what he can do, I I, I honestly think we have to wait and see. You know, I, I, I don't think there's a, an argument or a merit in judging a guy before he's before he's taken the seat, really. I mean, you'd say the same about a player, you'd say this, or I would say the same about a player and a coach that, you know, while something might look like a good appointment or look like a poor appointment, the proof is always in the pudding. And only six months down the line will we properly be able to measure what Tony Sutton has achieved. But the semantics of the appointment aren't great. It doesn't doesn't look like a particularly inspiring one. It looks like a safe appointment. It looks like a something that reinforces the jobs for the boys mentality, but the RFL are adamant they went to market and they've done their homework and they've done the due diligence and they gave other people chances and Tony Sutton was the best of the bunch. So let's wait and see. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people waiting to stick the knife in if he does fail. I will say that because the governing body's track record of appointing from within has not delivered particularly high results, has it? So if this one goes the same way, there's going to be a lot of knives, I would say that. It's um, it's worth mentioning that this is a very different job now to the one pre-IMG, isn't it? It's, well, let's be frank, it doesn't come with as much responsibility, to be honest. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a watered-down role, yeah. It's, you've, got, you've got much less power, which might sort of suit an inside hire, if that makes sense, someone who understands the intricacies of the game and understands the relationships at boardroom level that are already there because as you say there's going to be a lot less power in in the decisions Tony Sutton makes than the ones Ralph Rimmer and Nigel Wood made so maybe that that was the sense of the appointment as well that you know rather than IMG coming in and learning how to get their feet under the table would bringing a CEO in doing the same be a little bit difficult again I, I'm I'm always leaning a bit more towards that. I feel a little bit flat by the appointment, but um, I, I do think it's important to sort of differentiate him from Ralph Rimmer and Nigel Wood in the here and now. Look, in a couple of years' time, we might say it was another, it was another terrible appointment. It was another uninspiring appointment. But I, I think it's, you know, from Tony Sutton's perspective, I think it's important to give him a fair crack at, at it. But he's got a hell of a job on his hands to win over public opinion because he's on the back foot from the word go. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It's <laughs> but people are fascinated. I suppose he's got to be because you know he's a key administrator in the game. Um, but you, you're right. It, it doesn't. It doesn't inspire. But then is is it his fault that people didn't like the people before him? Um, does it mean that he will be? as successful or unsuccessful, depending on where you are on that debate. No, he's, he, he's almost guilty of guilt from association, isn't he? For yeah. Tony Sutton, which yeah. may, makes yeah. it difficult for him, for him from the very offset. It does. It does. It puts him on the back foot. And that's why I say he's got a hell of a job on his hands to win over the public because they're being for blood already. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Right. Finally, um, we're going to touch on Wakefield South in a minute because we're both there, but ju- just on this pitch stuff. So, once again, the RFL have done an inspection on Wakefield's pitch. They did one before the season started when it was approved. They did one 
before the pre-season games it was approved. They'd done before the round three game with Huddersfield and it was approved. And now they've done another one before this match against Hulkiar and lo and behold, it's been approved again. So, Aaron, my question to you is, why all the pitch inspections? Why do we keep doing this? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, I think... When does this end would be my question. When You forgive me, I don't know who Wakefield are playing next. It might be Castleford at Easter at home. Um, I, do they have to inspect the pitch then? You know, when's the cut-off for this? They've now said that the pitch has improved significantly in the 17 days since they played Huddersfield on it. So they get a pass, clearly. Um, should that be the end of it now? Well, yeah. I've, I also find, it sounds like from what Willie Peters was saying today, that Okay, I sent someone to have a look at the pitch, and that's what prompted the RFL's investigation. Well, is is that is that right? Shouldn't shouldn't it be the RFL's responsibility to make sure all the pitches are safe and fit to play on? And look, if it was past fit for Huddersfield, why would it therefore now not be fit to play on two weeks later when it's a new pitch? Logic dictates that it's only going to improve once it's been laid. It's a hybrid pitch, so the grass will grow the more time goes on. So if it was fine two weeks ago, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, to the best of my knowledge, Huddersfield didn't raise a single complaint after that game about the pitch. Not that I've seen publicly, no. I haven't, I haven't seen anything. So why is it then all of a sudden potentially not safe for this game? I just think it's got to, we've got, there's got to be a line under it now. It just seems ridiculous. But, and, and, Look, Sky obviously panicked, didn't they? Sky, I would say, panicked into making the decision and moving the game. But it's a line under it now for me. I mean, if it's past fit for the last two games and it's improved significantly, that's the word the RFL used in their release. They said it's significantly better than it was 17 days ago when it was fit enough to play on then. Surely that's the end of it now. Yeah, I mean, look, this is my take on it, right? So KR had concerns over player welfare and look, Player welfare should be taken seriously. We know that. Um, however, to me, if the RFL agree with, uh, you know, that there's enough concern that a pitch inspection should take place after already approving this this surface twi- a couple of how many times it is, well, that doesn't look like they're very they're showing a lot of conviction in their own actions. No, you then prove in the fact that that pitch inspection took place at 11 a.m. and it took them till 11 a.m. the day after yeah. to confirm that the pitch was passable. That also isn't really uh, the sign of a, a governing body that's showing conviction in their decisions. So I just, you know, if, if it's fit, it's fit, fantastic, but why... Why does there seem to be... It's almost like they aren't convinced by their own decision-making, the RFL. And then you ask the question, what are you doing? You know, that's your job. You're governing body, govern. You know, if, if there's nothing wrong with it, say there's nothing wrong with it. The fact that they kept everyone waiting suggests to me that they did have some reservations. And then, So then if KR do get it, you can imagine how they're going to go on. And... It doesn't. It doesn't help Wakefield's cause. It doesn't help the, the RFL's cause of trying to look like strong governance. I just, I just think it looked poor all round. It, and, and what what I will say is this. Now I'm I'm not an expert of uh, pictures, hybrid picture, anything. I'm not a groundsman. Will never claim to be. What I will say is, if there is another repeat of the. The Catalan, where you know they're going to antibiotics, or we, we you know that isn't good enough. Right? I don't think anyone would dispute that. If that were to happen again, it's a pretty damning look on the RFL, who's seemingly undenied about whether it's safe or whether it's not. If OKR then do have a incidents like that, that's you know for for player welfare and all we speak about. And there's a lot of people who say oh, player welfare is important until it suits. It's going to be a pretty terrible look. For the RFL, if that happens, if that if that does arise, yeah, if if it does arise, it's all it's a little bit hypothetical at the minute, isn't it? But you're right; it, it certainly suggests that the delay that they that they, they weren't 100, percent but it's but it's been passed, and you've got to hope that 
what, what happened in that first game against Catalans won't be repeated again. As you say, if it does, there's some serious questions to be asked. But I think the confusion and the delays just hasn't helped anyone. Not only has it not been a great look, I mean, people planning to go to the game, you know, talking three days before the game until an announcement that the pitch is fine and the game's going to be held at Wakefield Stadium. That's not that's not a great look. So if there is to be something to be discussed for the next home game, I'd, you'd hope lessons have been learned and it'll be a little bit sharper than than this. But, you know, we'll, it's not been a good look, has it? Yeah. Uh, and just on the game, we were both there, uh, the nearest comfortably Wakefield have got. So, well, I say that, in fairness to them, in fairness yeah. to Aaron, they've been close in a few games. It went to, they haven't been to Golden Point, but they've not been a million miles off. But yeah. nevertheless, it kind of feel like a, a missed opportunity because if, if we're honest, I, I haven't seen Salford play that poor. For, you know, I've not seen Ackers, Croft, Sneed, and then without Partington, but I don't think I've seen Salford as poor as that for a while. Yeah, if, yeah, that that's the takeaway I, I came away with, really, that it was a real... It probably from, like, from a Salford's perspective, I thought the fact that they could play so poor and still win is a really good sign for them moving forward, by the way. But from Wakefield's end, yeah, they'll, they'll really rue that one. Look, they're, they're getting close. They're getting close. They don't need a win yet. I don't subscribe to that view. They're only they're only two points behind the nearest rivals, so they certainly don't need a win. Um, but that would felt that would feel like one that if they lose the next two or three, particularly lose to Castleford at Easter, they might look back on it in a month's time as that nah, was a big day. That you know we we probably should have got that one, and who knows where our season could have gone from there. But they are getting closer, but. Like they're, look, they're reliant on Lino. They're really reliant on Lino. He's a great player and he's probably bound for somewhere else next year. I would have thought whether Wakefield stay up or not. But they they really need to keep him fit. They've got a lot of pivots out at the minute. They're struggling for a side. Um, yeah, listen, it was a disappointing day, but I think they took some steps forward, which was encouraging. But they've got another big game on Friday night against OKR and if they can if they can get that first win sooner rather than later, you know, you've you've seen teams win three or four in a row and get on a bit of a roll. Wakefield themselves have almost become notorious for it. I mean, last year you really felt their number was up midway through the year. Did they lose to Toulouse at Magic Weekend, I think? And yes, they did, yeah. You felt, well, this is the this is the year they might go. And then they, they went on a run. And the comp is so tight these days that if you can win four out of five or something along those lines it does propel you out of trouble quite quickly. So it's certainly not terminal for Wakefield yet. They took some steps forward, but it might be one that they look back on in a few weeks and think that could have been the one that could have kick-started our season. Yeah. My, my only... The only worry I had for Wakefield coming out of that game was... And look, I, he's damned if he does. He's damned if he doesn't. And I get, I get this. He's got to try and motivate them, encourage them, whatever. But... The way that Mark Applegaff spoke after the game, you know, I can't ask any more of the lads. I'm so proud of their efforts. Da, da, da. You know, when all said and done, Aaron, they lost to a, a Salford side that were way, way, way off the standards they need to be at. Uh, and it was almost like, I can't ask any more from them. I'm like, I think you can. I, I think you've got to ask more from them. Because if you I don't, you're going to go down. I think he is. I think he will be asking for more from them. I think that's just a coach rallying behind his players. They put a good effort in on... They did... You couldn't fault their effort on, on Sunday. And I think that was a coach trying to show that he's he's backing his players to, to get them up and running sooner rather than later, I think. I don't think that was him letting them off the hook. I think it felt more like recognising that they took a step forward and a coach who's, who's new in the job himself, of course, and he's probably trying to get to grips with the squad. And I think... Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I can see how it looks, but I certainly don't think Mark Applegarth was going into training on Monday and saying, just repeat that again. I think he will want more, but the perception he had to give was there were some steps forward and and he recognised that. And I, I don't think Wakefield fans recognise that as well. But as you say, it just, it just felt like a day, didn't it? Salford, collectively, they were off. I mean, if Croft's having a bad day, Sneed normally digs them out and plays well, same vice versa. Even Ackers or Brearley or Lafayette are capable of doing something. They were all off on Sunday. And from their end, the fact that they got over the line, fell over it, is really good for them. You know, Because when they're on, they're going to pull some teams apart, as we saw last year. But Wakefield would 
would have come off the field knowing that that was a missed opportunity. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Super League review time after another week of action. Plenty of surprising results, some uh, closer results than maybe some predicted as well. To go through it all with me, we have someone who was in France this week watching Hulk AR, our Rovers man, Joe Appleyard. Joe, how was the trip? Did you enjoy it, other than the result, of course? Um, yeah, it was very in and out. It was a bit of a bumpy ride. was stuck on Leeds Bradford Airport for about 30 minutes. And then when we went into Perpignan, the visibility of the runway, it wasn't obviously visible to the pilots at the time. And that was spent another half hour in the air. So Hull KR had originally planned to go to a hotel and do a bit of yoga, I think maybe a swim. But instead, they went for a coffee around the Stad Gilbert Brutiste area. There was no complaints from Willie Peters and the players. Obviously, it wasn't the result Rovers wanted. And I'm sure we'll go in depth on the HIA soon. But yeah, it was a quick in and out job and obviously not a successful one on and off the pitch for Hulkingston Rovers. Yeah, we'll get into it shortly. Um it seems like a few clubs have had issues, haven't they now? Got France, there was uh, Lee. Lee had like, a, you had it easy compared to them. They had like 13, 14 hour delay, if I recall. And I think that's the issue with all air travel in it at the moment. You've seen like people going on holiday, stuck in Greece, for example, for a few hours. So I don't think it's just um, affecting the rugby league well. But yeah, it's obviously, that is a bit of a hindrance. It comes with the territory of going to France. And of course, there is the argument that Catalan have to do that every other week. So there's more chance of them getting stuck or delayed. But nothing major from a whole KR point of view. And I can sympathise with Lee Leopards because I want to like to have been stuck in that airport for 13 hours. Because from what I saw of Perpignan Airport, there was two rooms and a boarding area, so it wouldn't have been an entertaining 13 hours, to say the least, especially after a defeat. No, I've uh, I've been to that airport, and it's tiny. It's not, the, it's not the airport that you want to be delayed at. And to be fair, there's a few. Like, I, I got stuck at Girona, and Girona's pretty small. Um, I was getting a coach from Girona to uh, Perpignan. And that, that was pretty painful. And that's probably bigger. There was at least like a, a restaurant of some form at Perpignan. It's just minuscule. And Toulouse, to be fair, Toulouse isn't... Where do you fly to Toulouse? I'm trying to think where I flew when I go to Toulouse. I went to Carcassonne and equally, that's tiny. I had like a four-hour delay coming back from Carcassonne. Mm. There's just nothing. What is it with these French flight delays? <laughs> not a clue but I went to Toulouse last year the second trip obviously when I took the job I missed the first trip of Rovers last year but that wasn't a bad airport I mean we're supposed to be reviewing the games but we should just do 30 minutes of reviewing airports next time I've just thought actually I have been to Toulouse because I went on your behalf didn't I last, yes on uh, last Easter year. Monday was that Easter Monday it was KR1 yeah because I, I flew to Toulouse and being the, the great man of the people that I am straight into a taxi, straight to the melting pot and took me all my luggage with me and then walked, I was like a mile down the road in a hotel, walked straight out of there about one morning after a few pints with the KR fans. That's, that's, how, that's how I roll, ever the professional. You are man of the people. Man of the people, I'll take it. Right, let's actually talk some rugby then. Uh, <laughs> if we go back to Thursday, so Leeds... Cass. Uh, Cass finally get their win. Um, I mean, look, important win for them, generally. You, you never want to be five without a win. You never want to be two or three or four without a win. Never mind going five. But to be honest, Joe, it was a bigger win for Andy last, wasn't it? That all of all, but made sure that he gets the job, I think. 
Yeah, definitely. And there was running on adrenaline, weren't they? And ultimately, there was fighting for Andy last. You've only had to hear some of the comments, you know, from Greg Eden and Gareth Widdop as well that we put out on Rugby League Live about the one Andy last in charge. They've made it no secret. It's probably no secret that he's 99.9% going to get that job as well, is it? And he deserves it. He deserves a crack at it. But what I will say is, yes, there was running on an ad- adrenaline, but it was a pretty poor game, wasn't it? And I don't want to slag both teams off, but we've mentioned Leeds a few times, haven't we, Matt? Again, they've got that in the locker. I know they've got returning players, but Austin and Caesar just won in the game as well. They've had a bit of controversy with Cruz leaving this week and ultimately they've gone to the jungle and they've suffered a defeat against a rival and I know Cass see it as a bigger rival than Leeds fans see it towards a Cass point of view, but even still, they're just not clicking at the moment and you can see Rowan Smith's a bit agitated with the media after the game and I just don't know what's going wrong for Leeds because they've proved they can go out and beat St Helens, but like so many teams, Matt, and arguably you can even say that about St Helens at the moment, there's not a lot of consequences consistency is there between the 12 teams in Super League barring your Warrington and Catalans at the moment no I mean if you look at it there's as you said there's those two that have won five out of five then you've got Salford and Wigan who have won three out of five and then there's just a heap of clubs that have won two and then Cass at one and and Wake here they're obviously Saints and Huddersfield have played a game less but inconsistency and it, look it's not unusual at this time of the year no. um and we'll get on to Leeds in a minute but from Cass's perspective yeah look was it a great game no but they just needed to rag a win didn't they they just needed a win from somewhere just to get them going just to give them something to hold on to and, and ultimately what what you could say for Cass was there was plenty of spirit endeavor all of all of those things and and ultimately, sometimes when you come across a team that's not playing well, as they did on first night, that's enough for a win. And that was the case. I mean, you've only got to see that big hit from Beretta Ferramo. It was like they'd celebrated a grand final try and people might show a bit of banter towards that and say, but you take your wins, don't you? Especially when you're in a dogfight. And yeah, I'm really pleased for Cass and Andy last. I've obviously been from the same city as Andy and coming up the youth system at Rovers at the time. He was at LFC, but, you know, City divided, of course. But Andy last has always been a really good bloke and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with his first team in charge as a head coach. It's going to take time for them to mould and they are an ageing squad. They've got to play the long game, just as probably Mark Club Rovers have got to do with Willie Peters, a new coach coming into a new system, but they needed that and they'll be better for it and I think, especially with their rivals Wakefield still sitting winless, Weald and Road and the cast supporters will be breathing a bit more of a sigh of relief because it's been a tough, tough pre-season for obvious off-field reasons, Radders going and everything else that we've mentioned before and yeah, they can finally start 2023, but still a long way to go, of course. Yeah, I'm not I'm not suddenly going to start, I don't think anyone will, based on that, say, oh, they'll be all right, they're going to do this, this and that, because they're still, they're still a bit off that for me. Um, they weren't, they weren't fantastic, were they? But nevertheless, they got the win. As for Leeds, um, what do you say about Leeds? They, I'm just not convinced by Leeds at all. Yeah, I know they beat Saints, and yes, I know that they beat uh, Wakefield, albeit, you know, that, that, can't read too much into that but I just I, you know as people know I've said a few times on the show I didn't think at the start of the season they'd made a top six and I still don't I'm not sure the squad's exactly where it needs to be despite the fact they have some very good players obviously now Cruz Lehman's going and they aren't planning on replacing him uh, great opportunity for Corey Johnson but you know there's big shoes to fill um, and they just work great again you know they they were just, they were sloppy, you know, silly penalties, silly handling errors. I'm just, i just not sure that Leeds, and I, I go back as far as the pre-season games, I just don't think they've given anyone enough evidence to convince them that they are going to pull up any trees this year, to be honest. I think there's a bigger narrative as well because they managed to, I'd say, scrape through, but that's like I'm showing disrespect to them to a grand final last year. And again, there was running on that momentum that teams can get at the back end of the year. But Leeds are playing probably recruitment with the younger players out there. We've spoke a lot about Leeds' recruitment, but I just look at two players 
who left, obviously Matt Pryor, Matt Pryor, sorry, he retired and Zach Hardick has gone to the Lee Leopards. And you're bringing in maybe like a Daryl Olfetz and Sam Lasone, you know, you just compare them to, and again, it's early doors, you can't judge a book by its first few pages. But from what I've seen from both of them at the moment, it's just like they haven't improved on that. Um, and yeah, there's just not a lot of strike power, is there, from the halfbacks? I've mentioned it a few times from what I've seen from Leeds. If Cameron, Cameron Smith keeps getting the ball at first receiver and the halfbacks are just looking around, waiting for someone to maybe do a half break, like the first try was, like Marla's try was. Um, and if not, the shift plays, no, there's no organisation. The connection of the span's not there. Um, again, now it's going to be down to Jared O'Connor and Corey Johnson to take that nine spot. So there's going to be a transition period. But at the moment, it's like they're trying to barge over or get a clean break. And apart from that, they look pretty clueless in attack. And I think they only conceded 14. But against the you know better team who's firing from all cylinders, they could have conceded a lot more. And they've got a lot of work to do. I agree. I don't think they'll be in the playoffs. And... You still associate Leeds, don't you, with your Maguires and Burrows and Sinfields of the world, and maybe it's time to think, you know what, they're going through that period still of, yes, they've won a Challenge Cup and they've got to a grand final, but by the standards they used to set and the team that they've probably got now, it's no we can really reason why they're finishing and getting beat by teams like Castleford under the manner of defeats as well. That's the difference. It's the manner of defeats. Cass were probably there for the taking, but Leeds are just offering not much at the moment, Abby, and that's a big issue. And I know the Leeds supporters definitely are happy with the way things are going at the moment at Head and Lee. I, I wasn't convinced by the decision to do the whole Newman thing for 40 minutes and, and bring Lewis Roberts on. So, look, I, I understand that you can't just throw him in and play 80 minutes and, and do it that way. I get that. But by by playing him for 40 and, and as a result putting Lewis Roberts on the bench to replace him, you're almost changing you're making quite a big change to your interchange there. And I'm not I'm just not convinced that like that was the best thing to do. I again look, I'm not saying that they should throw him in and play him more and then risk injury but you know to to build a client a competitive super league game like like that and you know i just i just didn't it's great with hindsight they lost the game so of course i'm bringing it up would i brought up with the woman game no i probably wouldn't but it just it just seemed like a, a decision that maybe backfired on them a little bit um it didn't help that robert roberts didn't have his best game. I really like Lewis Roberts. I think he's got potential. I think he'll go a long way in the game. But he had a pretty poor game, which doesn't help. Um, do you feel like Matt, like, obviously, you know, leads a lot more than I do, but there's this reserves persona. And yes, the reserve league isn't the best at the moment, but Harry Newman could have played 80 minutes for Leeds reserves. If it was switched and Lewis Roberts was coming back, you guarantee he'd have probably played for the reserves. Do you think it's maybe because Newman's such a big name, they don't really want to risk him in inverted cotton brackets? Do you know what I mean? Is that the reason why Rowan Smith's doing it? Of course it is. Look, he's had a lot of injuries and they're not going to rush him back. He's. Mm. He needs looking after. No getting away from that. And, and I'm not saying that what they did was wrong, only playing in 40 minutes. But I'm just not convinced that it works in his... I just think it backfired against Leeds a little bit, doing yeah. that. Because, especially especially against the big Castleford team. You need a bit of a bigger bench, don't you? And he's kind of like, not a useless sub, but he comes off at 40 minutes when the game's still in the balance. He hasn't done anything spectacular. He's gone around his business, got a bit of match fitness. But like you said, he's a bit of a wasted sub after that because by the time the cameras had shown um, kicking off, he was in his track, so he'd had a shower and stuff. So there was no way he was ever going to come back on. I know that was the plan. Yeah, and let's be right. Cass's middle were really good. Probably... You know, probably won the game. Having another middle, you know, he didn't play Sam Walters. Um, and in fair, look, in fairness, he did. He did have four middles. He did have four middles. I thought Sam Walters was hard done by not to play. To be honest, he played really well the two weeks before in the two victories. He, he changed the game against St. Helens. He was pretty solid against Wakefield. Um, obviously, Sangare came back and Lasone. I'm just Lasone. No. Look, early, again, early days, you, you don't want to say anything foolish, but I, I think his performances, I think most Leeds fans would agree his performances have been concerning so far. So I think, but back to the point, they did have four middles. 
Um, but yeah, I'm just not, you know, I, I think I would have been looking at moving Reese Martin into the centre and, and taking another back rower on there if that's what he was going to do and play Newman the 40. Um, and like I said, it, I, I'm not disputing the logic or the justification for only playing Newman 40 and gradually bringing back in. They need to look after him, they need to get him fully fit. There's no good, especially with a hamstring, you know, bringing him back, pushing him too much in him. You know, and then going down again doesn't doesn't help anyone. But I'm just, I'm just not in, entirely sure it went the right way. I know that Rowan Smith thinks long term and everything's long term thinking, which is admirable. But it wouldn't have done any harm winning that game either, would it? You know. So anyway, that's Leeds. They've uh, they've got plenty of time as does every other club. Moving on to Friday, the televised game was. Hull FC St. Helens. Um, I mean, look, Joe, I, I, I had Dan on last week. I asked him about KR, so it's only fair that you as KR man get asked about FC. Thoughts? Not not just on this game, just generally from what you've seen so far, looking out from the other side of the city, what's your take on Hull FC at the minute? I think both Hull FC and Hull KR are quite guilty of falling into that trap that you do in this city and the second Tony Smith got announced I said straight away look Hull have got to give him time Um they've got to this isn't his team at the moment and there's so many parallels between the Rovers side he adopted in the back end of 2019 it took him a year and a half didn't it to clear a lot of dead wood to put it kindly and I honestly think Hull have got a lot more than Rovers did a few years back but he got Rovers to two semi-finals and he always improves the team. You know, they they improve from when he comes in and he always leaves them in a better place. I think he can do that with Hull FC and he's getting some players... I don't really know how to put it full because I've seen it so many times with Rovers as well. They'll come off a big thumping and there's all the talk in the media and saying that's it, it's the end of the world. And then they'll put in a good effort performance. But the professional athletes at the end of the day, they should be putting effort in. And I feel like I spoke to Dan about it, obviously off this off record, off the podcast and, that should be the minimum expectation. And Hull have got some star quality players, haven't they? But that performance they shipped up against Salford was embarrassing. And I thought, yes, um, again, last week, sorry, against St. Helens. Um, yeah, yeah they, they give it a go. They give it a go. And there's little one percenters into that. Brad Dwyer nearly, you know, catching it. A bit of a clangor from him. Cam Scott being less than a millimetre away from intercepting. But you're never probably going to have a better chance to go to the Totally Wicked Stadium and pick up two points. And I know Tony, obviously working with him for six, seven months, he'll be disappointed with that. And I know the players will be. But Hull have got a bad the time. They're not going to be doing anything this year. They might not do anything next year, but they've got a man who knows what he's doing. Yes, he's in his, not I wouldn't say his twilight stages of his coaching career, but he's not the young Tony Smith who took over from Leeds with all these new ideas. You know what you're going to get for him now. But at this moment in time, he's the perfect man for Hull FC. I just think Adam Pearson and the CEO have got to stick with him because they can't do any rash decisions because ultimately there's nobody better to come in with these 20 players out of contract. Yeah, they might put a good performance in against Saints, but realistically, there's a lot of players who have been great servants for Hull FC who need to go at the end of the year and they'll start to be judged in the next few years or so. But at the moment, Hull just needs to keep putting effort in, fight for a contract to few players. But I can see Tony obviously ringing the changes as the months commence and they're, they're, they're going to be okay. They're not going to be in a relegation battle, but I don't see him being a, a top threat as well. No. I, the acid test for them is how they, they play against Lee, isn't it? You know, they've come off a thumping. They're expected, many people expect them to get thumped again and they, they put in a you know, a, a pretty good performance uh, against St. Helens. Well, it's how they do against Lee, isn't it? You know, that's the game. There's, it's no good if they are then poor again and go back to some old habits. And this this has been the issue at Hull for a couple of years now. Probably longer than a couple of years, to be honest. Yeah. They, they've just got... They've just got to find some consistency. But, uh, you know, we did that podcast last week and thank you to everyone who listened. Uh, feedback was fantastic. Uh, really pleased with the numbers, uh, number of listeners. Um, I just, I just, I still am firmly of the belief that until that squad's been shaken up and chain, you know, comprehensive changes are made, 
Yeah, you know, you know what you're going to get with them, don't they? A performance, then a bad performance, then maybe two wins. Again, it's that it's that inconsistency. It's a typical Hull and Hull KR thing. You'll go and beat a Wakefield, um, a Wigan, sorry, and then get beat by a Wakefield or a Lee. It's always been the case, and I think that needs to change, probably from both clubs, and it's been evident of that already this season. But yeah, I think until. I want the old brigade, you want to call them, and they've been great servants for Hull FC. You know, your Scott Taylors of the world, Jamie Shaw's, Danny Houghton's legends for what they did in them two years when they won the Challenge Cup, but you can only live off that forever, and it's the modern day, and Hull have big ambitions, as do so many teams, and I think Tony, it's going to be interesting. I think in a few weeks, when the transfer rumours start, I think Dan's going to be a very busy boy, um, because that'll probably be the club where the most in and outs happened, for obvious reasons. Yeah, tend to agree. Uh, and just just quickly on Saints, it's hard to know what to say about Saints at the minute because they they they're not playing well, are they? Now, look, this does happen quite frequently after World Cup Challenge, um, but they they just haven't been anything like what you'd expect. And it's not that particularly there's a load of players out. There's a few, but you know, no more than there is at, at most places at any time of the season. It, They've got Huddersfield next up. Um, you're kind of just expecting them to get back to the best, aren't, aren't you? But three, on the, three pretty poor performances on the bounce. And granted, they lost one of them in, with 14 seconds to spare. They lost the Lee one pretty near the death as well. Could have easily won all three, but they could have also nearly lost all three as well. Yeah, 100%. And even against Castleford, there was a reason why Cass have been so bad at the beginning of the season and they've beat probably a very poor side in Cass, didn't they, on Channel 4 and then they've scraped by Hull FC, to put it lightly, who got thumped 60 points to 14 by Salford. They're still a quality team, of course they are. They're going to be in the top two, maybe top one. They might win the lot again. It's going to take time but I think what is evident is there's been a bit of a change of style in Paul Wellens and is it because players like Lomax and Roby a year older and it's you feel like you're contradicting yourself the fact they've just beat Penrith Panthers in Australia but Super League's a different beast and is it that thing are they getting not too cocky as such but do they think they can turn up and not grind out results or um, sorry they can grind out results and they don't have to play dazzling but the skill's still there to see and they've got some amazing players and they are missing a few they've picked up a few injuries and suspensions but yeah the they're very clunky, the words I'm going to use. And it's surprising that it's the players like Wellsby, Lomax, even Roby to some extent. It's just because we've come accustomed to it, isn't it? They've won everything for the past three or four years. So when they have a blip, you're going to talk about it. But they're still a major force and arguably they're still the best team in the league. But at the moment, it's just not clicking for them. But they can still grind out results against Hull FC, who gave it absolutely everything, by the way, and came off, you know, kicking the heels that they haven't just beaten St Helens because they're putting a valiant effort. But that's the sign of champions, playing probably at 40% of their calibre. Too many errors to count on your hands and they still come away with a victory against the determined side. So full credit to Saints. I think they'll come good in the next few weeks. And I think even Paul Wellen said, didn't he, in one of his earlier press conferences when he took over, um, you know, will start kicking in in round 13, 14. It's going to take time. It's a bit of a new system. Not many new signings, of course, just the one in T. Ritson, but it's a brand new era for Saints. And I still think they'll be a very successful one under Paul Ellens. But at the moment, they're not playing that free-flowing rugby that we've come accustomed to. But I suppose it evens Super League up a bit. That's what we've wanted for the past four years. Yeah, well, other than people from St. Helens. But anyway. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. Moving on to Huddersfield, who welcome back Jake Connor. My question to you, Joe, do they need Jake Connor? Because they lost 14-12 to Wigan, which, you know, not, not a disgrace. But they only scored one try. They do seem in the bigger games to struggle to score points. They got nilled last year by St. Helens, who had 12 men. They got nilled in the playoff defeat to Salford. They do seem to just generally struggle to score points in the bigger games. The same happened here. Um, people have questioned Ian Watson's tactics at times. You know, does he play not to lose? Does he play too conservatively? What's what's your take on it? Because there's probably a, a million and one different arguments. 
He kind of, if you're a football fan, he kind of parks the bus, doesn't he? And it, when it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it'll, it'll come under some stick. I mean, I saw you only have to go when me and you was at Ellen Road last year in the semi-final of the Challenge Cup, Rovers against Huddersfield. I don't think Rovers, apart from the trial they scored, got into Huddersfield's half because they just kicked Tulkayar to death, pinned him in defence. But eventually, like any successful team, and I know Huddersfield haven't won anything as such, but they've been there or thereabouts the last few years, Teams get accustomed to what players are like, and it did it with Rovers again when they started playing that ad lib rugby under Tony Smith. Teams got the knew what Rovers were going to do, and ultimately that'll happen to Huddersfield as well. Of course, they need Jake Connor. Is that X factor, isn't he? Seen him do it for Hull FC for so many years. He was playing probably by himself last year. Once he wrapped up 33 assists for a team who finished ninth, which is absolutely silly statistics. But what he will bring to that Huddersfield team is, I don't think they're going to rely on him like Hull FC did, and he's not going to be that sole playmaker. They've got Tui Lollahea, Ollie Russell, of course. I know Theo Farge is injured, but you've got Will Price to throw into the mix. What he will do is, if it's 14-12, like it was against Wigan, and they're in them dying embers of the game, he won't be scared to chip it over the top off for an outrageous dummy. It might not come off, but he's instead of just five tackles and we'll kick it high or we'll drill it into touch and force an error, he might offer Huddersfield something different. So it's a bit a different angle for Ian Watson to go down. They're not going to change their full game plan, but what Connor will do, he brings that unexpectancy, doesn't he? A bit like a Jack Wellsby or a Mikey Lewis. They're still not the finished article and they've got areas of the game that are weaknesses and they're easy to spot and sometimes they get caught out. But what they can do is they've got that X factor and he can change the game in the you know in the space of an instance. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. It's going to be interesting to see how Huddersfield fits him in. And of course, he'll be on the bench against St. Helens and water. There's you know there's going to be no bigger test for him to come back on his second Giants debut. But I think he'll be a success and he'll worm his way in to that start in um, 13 at some point. You only have to look at the positions he can play anywhere from full-back carty to half-back, so it'll be interesting. But Ian Watson's got a player there, and I think everybody in the league knows it, none other than Hull FC, of course. Yeah, I think the, the Giants are probably the worst team to play against if you're having an off day, just because they, they just suffocate you. But I think if when they come up against a team that's playing well, he just... They just seem to struggle to score points, uh, enough points. And, you know, normally those are against the better teams in the bigger game. So I think there's, it's too early to judge, like everyone, too early to judge. We've not seen Connor play with Lola here, albeit there are reports now. I saw Lola here in the squad, but there's a bit of report that he's injured now. Um, so look, time will tell. And as, as for Wigan, I must say, I think that's an impressive result for them, Joe, because... Though they do have three wins from five, they haven't been great. Uh, yes, they pumped Wakefield. Yes, they pumped Cass. But they, they were the, they're the two weakest teams in the comp at the minute. They were the other teams, they lost to OKR, they lost to Catalan. So this was a this was their best win of the season. Probably one that they just needed to build a bit of confidence. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the highlights back and, of course, it was Bevan French getting back to his best, going over for a brace. But what I will say about Wigan is, I mean, we see it a lot, don't we, being on social media, publishing everything. Wigan fans are quite complaining about the recruitment. They're saying the pack's not big enough and they get rolled over. Um, and that we, I definitely saw that at Craven Park before Rovers got all these injuries. It was a fully fit side for Willie Peters and they did the rolled Wigan. And what do you think of when you think of the great Wigan teams? You think of aggressive, hard to beat down the middle and you never win in a wrestle whereas now it seems to be the opposite they've got a few flair players I still think the halfbacks are the calibre of Wigan halfbacks of the past I think Harry Smith's a a steady player. Cade Cuss can come up with a bit of brilliance, but again, sometimes he goes through the motions. And Matty Pete has got a lot of young kids there. That's the bonus. That's been the Wigan mantra for years. They can just bring up an Ethan Havard or a Harry Smith, like I've mentioned. But yeah, they'll be happy with that win. But I think the bigger picture for Wigan is they need to recruit in certain areas because they're still a very big force and they're going to be there or thereabouts. I feel like if you could. Well, um, if you could help the likes of Jarfield and Bevan French by winning the floor a lot more, setting an even bigger platform, then the results will speak for themselves. You only have to see what damage they can do when we're going to run a roll. If they could do that against the bigger and better teams, then they'd definitely be in the top two. Do you know what I mean? So you can't write Wigan off, of course, as much as you can't write any team off, like we've reiterated a few times. But at the moment, there is there is a few weaknesses I can see there. But not many teams go to the John Smith Stadium and ground out a result. So fair play to them. It might just be the kick up the backside that they need. Um, 
know uh, we've already spoken about Wakefield and Salford with Aaron because he was there. So I won't uh, go over that again. There were two other games. We'll leave Hulk out to the last. Uh, Warren and Lee, I'm not, you know what? I've not really got a lot to add on, on these two. Um, I think we've said what there is to say in, in previous shows. Um, Warrington look good. They keep ticking boxes. Lee continued to demonstrate that they will be absolutely fine, in my opinion. Uh, what I would say is what a fantastic crowd. Warrington's home record attendance helped by, I think Lee took about 2,500. She's a phenomenal effort. They're, um, you know what, Joe? This, this is what we will say on that. I think Lee are proving this version of Lee are proving to be a good addition to Super League. It's not an arrogant Lee, is it? Who are buying players left, right and centre. I know they've done a big recruitment overhaul, but still like losing players like Blake Ferguson, the Derek Beaumont of the past that have panicked and bought an overpaid you know, old Australians come and replace him where he hadn't done that. He's brought in a lot of Super League experience. I know that's Adrian Lamb, not Derek Beaumont, of course, but I think they've got a good coach who's can steady the ship. And I've liked the fact that they're giving players like Tom Briscoe and Josh Charlie one last crack at Super League and they're loving it over there, aren't they? Hardacre, John Asiata. So they've got quality throughout the ranks and they are no mugs. They've beaten Hull KR at Craven Park, which isn't a tough ask. And they've beaten St. Helens, which how many teams have beaten St. Helens over the past four years so yeah I think that it's not going to be the, the Lee Centurions of course that we've used to know now it's the Leopards and maybe this new era it is a new club it is a new era for Lee and yeah they've got a decent fan base aren't they to get behind the, the lads the, the very passionate the very vocal I know Warrington and Lee are very close but still we, you can only travel as far as your next opponent are so fair play to the Leopard supporters I'm liking what they're doing off the field to get a bit of slack, um, bit of criticism I know Dan isn't too much of a fan of Beaumont on his antics but I'm the opposite I think he's a really good for the game in parts um, and yeah I'm looking forward to seeing where they go Warrington are just ticking along aren't they the proof will be in the pudding they can win every game. If they don't win the Challenge Cup or the Super League, there's still going to be questions asked because Warrington fans want silverware and with the money to spend, you can understand why. But no, I don't think Lee will be dragged into a relegation battle. And in all fairness, I hope they're not. You know, they've done it now. They've been up and down. They've got the money. With this IMG era that's coming in, Lee are a team that can contribute to Super League. They can contribute to off-field antics with the Leopards rebranding. It got talked about and it was rugby league getting talked about on a worldwide stage. A lot of it negative, but it doesn't matter. It's pressing. It was getting Super League and the sport out there. And probably Beaumont knows that. And he, he knows what he wants. And I think you might see a few more members come into the pack because they are a bit light. But at the moment, they're doing really well. And I think they can be proud of their efforts because any team who go to Warrington, it's easy to roll over and concede 50 when you're shipping points, especially shipping after 22 seconds. They're sticking in games now, which is a massive difference. And I think it'll come when push comes to shove, when they start playing the likes of Cass and Wakey, that's when Lee can prove a point and get away from that relegation pact. But yeah, impressed so far with both teams for different reasons. Just my final question to you, Joe. Hull KR. Um... They've lost three on the bounce. They, you know, lost last minute to Lee, lost narrowly to Warrington, had everything go against them in defeat to Catalan. Is there just a fear that they're struggling to shake off the gallant losers, the brave effort in defeat tag, that they seem to have had just ever so slightly for a while now. Yeah, you need to get rid of it. I can understand that, why people think that. And this week, especially against Wakefield, you've got to win because nobody wants to be the first team to get beat by Wakefield. And of course, there have been all the pitch, um, the pitch issues which will have been spoken about. But I just think for Hull KR at the moment, yeah, they're doing it tough with the HIAs. Yes, they've picked up a few injuries, but they've got a good squad depth. You know, they, they could welcome back Kane Lynette, Matt Parcell and Matty Stoughton this weekend. So they've got the players there. What it is, it's very similar, and I'm not classing them in the same bracket at the moment, to what I just mentioned about St. Helens. It's that clunkiness. The fifth and sixth, I think, in the attack and defence rankings in Super League. So it proves they're nearly there. They're just missing that little 1%, that killer blow 
They're getting their opponents on the ropes. They're having three or four rounds at them. They're throwing everything they've got. They just can't land that knockout blow. And Willie Peters knows it. I asked him about it in France. He said, yeah, it's a clear issue. He said, we're not happy with our game management. We're getting ourselves into good positions. Um, the completion rate was poor at times as well. So they're very clunky. And that's what they've got to change. There's evidence there. It's still embedding this Willie Peters style. It is a lot more structured, not to the extent of what Ian Watson does at Huddersfield, but the difference between what Tony did over the last few years at Rovers compared to Willie, it's going to take time. And of course, it's early. They picked up two really good results early doors, but that bubble kind of burst, doesn't it, when you get beat by Lee and then Warrington and Catalan, but I think it's time for Rovers to maybe kick on now. They've got the team, they've got the players and they can't keep having this, yeah, which we've tried really hard, we've digged in, we've given 100% effort, but we've ultimately come up because of our own mistakes. You know, you've got, you can't go in Super League like that. You can't perform in Super League like that. They've got it there. They've got talent in abundance. If they can get on a roll, I'm interested to see where Peters can take this side. I hope it works for him because he talks a really good game. He's easy to get along with from a journalist point of view and I can see what he's trying to embed he just needs a little bit of luck along the way but ultimately we can only blame the injuries and HIAs he's still got a good enough team to be beating the teams like Wakefield and even Leeds and Hull FC the next three weeks for Hull KR are vital because if you go into that good Friday derby still with two wins and even if you beat Hull FC, you're going to be free from Nan. That's probably not good enough for where Rovers want to be at the moment so these next three weeks could dictate how the back end and middle of this season could go but plenty of positives but still a bit of um, them old negatives creeping in for Hull KR and I hope that can be eradicated of course and it's going to be an interesting game on Friday Yeah, I, I say, I, I just wonder because and it's too, it's too early and, and it was a three quarter happened against Catalan, no getting away from that, three HAs in the first half nightmare scenario, you're never going to win a game I get that but you know I just, just feels like the defeats are of similar nature Asked to, uh, from last year. Look, and two of them are against Catalan and Warrington, who are the two unbeaten sides. So, look, maybe too early. The Lee one is a disappointing one. We will see time will tell over the course of the year. Well, that's where we're going to wrap up out of League this week. Joe, thank you for coming on. Much appreciated as ever. We'll be back next week. We're going to have a bit of a focus on the NRL player dream next week. We're going to speak to a few people. So, plenty to get through. We'll be back next week. For now, enjoy your week. And above all, enjoy your ability. Take care.